Welcome to the Spirited Advocate podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Welcome, everyone, to this week's Spirited Advocate podcast. Obviously, I'm not Chris Wonger. I am Christine Locascio, the Chief of Public Policy with Discus, and I am so happy to be joined today by my colleague, Sean Kennedy, who's the Executive Vice President of Public Affairs with the National Restaurant Association. Um, so we're really excited to have you here, Sean. Um, why don't you tell us how long you've been with the National Restaurant Association and what brought you to the hospitality industry? Well, first off, thanks, Christine, for, for having me. I've finally been able to check this item off my bucket list, uh, uh, and I'd much rather have you than Chris Swanger, so I think that you're going to do, you're a fantastic guest host. Um, I appreciate you having me. I am just under uh, the two-year mark at the National Restaurant Association. Uh, as you know, the National Restaurant Association represents uh, the entire restaurant industry and food service industry, so we represent everybody from the uh, beloved uh, independent to the favorite regional or national chain franchise owners. We also work with the food service industry for our major suppliers. We have a National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation that does fantastic work in generating programs and providing support to keep a constant stream of people who can come in into the chef and culinary arts uh, community. We've been around for about 101 years. Uh, we have a partnership with our state restaurant associations in every state, the District of Columbia, and uh, in Puerto Rico. So it's been two years. As you know, I think if you measure that in dog years or in pandemic years, it feels like much, much longer, but it's been a great opportunity. Um, I, I joined here from actually the airline industry. Uh, there's so much parallel in some respects in that restaurants and, and air travel is something that everybody assumes they've got, they appreciate it, they want it, they may sometimes take it for granted. Policymakers sometimes understand our industry, sometimes they get some things wrong and that's where we step in uh, here at the Restaurant Association to explain how the restaurant industry works, how we are so hyper-local and what, our, and what challenges we've been facing. That's great. And I know we, we've we've worked a lot together and my role as the Chief of Public Policy at the Distilled Spirits Council, I've been here about 20 years. Tell us a little bit about what it was like for you to join the industry and particularly at this at this challenging time as we've all you know been living through covid and it's and it's terrible impacts on 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 our society and on businesses and, and everything um, and all of the above uh, it, it, look it's been a it's been a challenge it's because you love your membership i love mine uh, march 14th uh, hoboken new jersey was the first community to shut down indoor dining at midnight uh, on march 13th we noticed a steady downtick in, in, in dining reservations. Uh, Hoboken was quickly followed by uh, you know, a number of communities until it reached the point where basically every indoor dining room was shut down. Uh, we put out a, a, a blueprint for recovery about four days later and sent it to Capitol Hill. But you noted our relationship. Uh, you know, to be honest, we heard from our membership first with what are you going to do? And then we really did hear from Discus and I heard from, I mean, you were one of the first people that called me, Christine, and we heard from Chris Swanger shortly thereafter saying, how can, how can Discus help? Uh, we have suppliers who want to see restaurants not only make it through this with as much, uh, reduce the loss as much as possible. What can we do to keep customers, um, keep customer needs out, both in food product and alcohol? 
uh, but you've been such a fantastic partner along the way. And I was, I was actually thinking about this. I should have looked it up because you and I did a, we did a, a large, we basically had all of our teams and this was still when we were all learning, when Zoom was still a uh, exciting novelty, but you had your entire national team of your state advocates and your policy people. I had it with mine and we just together ran through, here's how we're gonna try to work. Uh, Cocktails to Go was certainly a, one of the fastest ways that we could find something that we knew our customers wanted uh, and saying that restaurants needed that revenue. But with that push, you've accomplished with us uh, more than anything's been done since prohibition, to be honest. And we never would have gotten these kinds of wins, so to speak, and saved tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of restaurants, if it weren't for things like that. Uh, Washington is such a town where there aren't grand slams. Uh, you get points, you get runs by just a series of base hits. And Discus was fantastic on something. People just sort of take for granted that Cocktails to Go wasn't a big item. It was a huge item for us. And what, we, what we're excited to work with, with Discus and with you, Christine, on now is how do we lock in these things? How do we make these permanent? And, and, and what do we do looking forward? So it's been, a, it's been a, the busiest 14 months uh, for the National Restaurant Association. Discus has been there every step of the way. But we are, there's light of the tunnel, really excited for, for how we move forward together. Absolutely. I think it's been a great, um, great partnership between our two organizations. And certainly, you know, again, 13 months ago, as we were entering this uh, very strange period, um, and I think from a, from a supplier perspective, none of us really anticipated, you know, cocktails to go as sort of a, um, an additional sort of market channel that would be developing out of it. And so I think it was great that, you know, our, our teams got together and, and worked together to ensure that that was, um, you know, rolled out on a temporary basis. And now, you know, we're continuing to work together as part of the Hospitality Recovery Coalition with some other organizations too, to make sure, as, as you talked about, to make sure that these are um, made permanent. And it is interesting to hear, I don't know if you have any data on that, uh, or to expand a little bit more about how important Cocktails to Go has been to the restaurant industry. We hear it, we hear it tangentially, and, you know, some of your reports highlight it too, but if you have any more uh, information you'd like to share, that would be great. Will you begin with the backdrop of what the industry was facing at that point? Since uh, since the shutdown began in March, the industry has lost about $270 billion, which is the highest of any industry. We were down at our peak, uh, about two and a half million jobs. We are down now, probably still less than two. Uh, we still have just a few, uh, still under two million jobs, still not returned to the industry. 110,000 restaurants have shut their doors permanently or long-term because they just cannot survive what's going on. Uh, the most overused word during the pandemic to describe the restaurant business model is pivot, as you know, because folks were immediately saying, what can we do to change our revenue stream? And you know, restaurants that swore they would never do takeout or delivery suddenly are creating those relationships with DoorDash and, 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 and Uber Eats. Uh, they're changing their menus to uh, food that, that doesn't transfer well, not only tastes good three minutes after it's been cooked, but perhaps 15 minutes after it's been cooked uh, so that it still tastes delicious when folks are eating it at home. Um, but really finding those additional revenue streams and what people established quickly was that we wanted to not only have that perfect Tex-Mex meal for our customers, but that perfect margarita to be paired with it. In our surveys, 
cocktails to go and off-premise sales was 20% of revenue for restaurants. And that is just, that's enormous. And it, it, it generally states that had cocktails to go had at least two more employees that they're able to keep. Uh, we think there's a direct correlation between that. Um, we are still at the point where no industry has lost more jobs and more revenue. And what we've realized quickly is again, in an era where Congress does not do a lot of big things, we need to be covering the ground with potential solutions uh, across the board, tax, labor, investment, job training. Uh, we've spent a lot of time working on those things here at the, at the National Restaurant Association. To the extent that there's overlap with our supplier friends at Discus, uh, we're gonna continue working with you to say, how can we help? How can, you, how can we work with you to help elevate these issues and make them a priority? And, and I think that's a good, good transition to another thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, the Restaurants Act and something that Discus and our, our uh, federal government relations team um, has certainly, you know, we've been very supportive of. Uh, we know that would provide $128 billion in support directly to the restaurants industry. And there's sort of been a down payment of that um, as part of the recently passed American Rescue Plan. Can you talk about how important um, you know, making sure that we get the, the full benefits and the full funding of the Restaurants Act is, I mean, you, you highlighted some of the numbers there, but can you highlight for our, for our audience just how important it is to, to get that full funding? So when we put out our, our first blueprint for, for revival and for recovery on March 18th, we called for an industry-specific recovery fund. This is a restaurants across the country were shutting down, not because of bad business decisions, not because of bad investments, not because of bad business practices. Shut down because there was a, uh, there was a decision made by state and local authorities that indoor dining needed to shut down, even with social distancing, even with the fact that we have, that we are the most, one of the most regulated industries when it comes to health codes, that that was inadequate. We needed to be shut down by government order. So we knew that we were going to need specific relief dollars. That ended up being converted, that plan ended up being converted into the Restaurants Act. Uh, there have been various iterations of it. Some would exclude larger, uh, small chain operators. We didn't think that was a fair way to look at it. We worked to pivot from that to take care of not only our independent membership, but our small chain membership as well. Uh, because it, at the end of the day, during this pandemic, it doesn't matter what uniform, uh, what logo is on your uniform, you're in a world of hurt. And there was a good chance that your, your job was, was at risk. The, um, it ultimately made it into the American Rescue Plan, $28.6 billion of funding. You note that it's a down payment. It's a significant one. I mean, it's not what we were asking for, but $28 billion of taxpayer funds. It, it is us in the airlines. My old industry are the only two that have gotten industry-specific support. It's going to save a lot of restaurants. We are working. We're having conversations about every 48 hours with SBA on the rollout. We think that's going to happen later today. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll plug our advocacy website. If, you, if anyone listening uh, wants more information, our advocacy website is restaurantsact.com. We have a really good FAQ. We've done webinars as well. More is gonna be coming on that front. Um, we probably are gonna be looking to get another installment of cash in there. It's something we look forward to working with you on. We know there are other items that uh, are important to your membership that we wanna make sure we're, we're, we're all singing with, uh, acting with one voice. 
That's great because we do have a lot of distilleries that you know were certainly impacted because they have you know their own tasting rooms that were impacted just like restaurants were, and so and they're we wanna... and they're covered as you well know, Christine. Uh, there is a threshold based on how much of your revenue uh, comes in that's from that tasting room that's covered in our FAQ document on RestaurantsAct.com. But we want to make sure tasting rooms have been devastated by this, and for some. You know, you can, they, they are selling a good amount of their, for some of them, they're, they're selling most of their product through those tasting rooms directly to the consumer. So we need to make sure that we have that covered as well. Exactly. And just uh, also um, another issue that has impacted our industry a lot, and we appreciate the restaurant, the National Restaurant Association joining us in the Toast Not Tariffs Coalition is the tariff issue. Um, that's sort of been a double whammy for our industry, the impact of COVID and the closures, and then the impact on, on our exports and imports. That was one of the reasons why um, I chose this Zoom background to show the wide variety of spirits that's at a typical bar at a typical um, so appreciate the National Restaurant Association joining us in, in that effort to get us back to zero duties on, on uh, spirits. Well, it's for us, it's just been such a, um, we, with all the challenges that the restaurant and hospitality industry have faced, for us to be dragged into a battle between Boeing and Airbus, uh, it's, it's sort of absurd, isn't it? And, and we are fine, you know, we all, we all have our challenges and we all have our issues that are specific to us. We're ready to take them on and have a good policy debate if necessary. But your leadership on trying to extricate wine and spirits and as a major supplier to restaurants, it's been phenomenal because you've really managed to break through and make this something that not only the restaurant community appreciates, but just the public at large. We followed your lead, Christine, and we did a national activation on this, uh, asking folks, not only our restaurant membership, but just consumers, foodies, people who are going out and enjoying a cocktail or a glass of wine with their meal. And the response was really, was incredibly high, even during this period. So people, restaurant owners get it. And even though they're asking for full funding of the Restaurants Act, they went out and immediately joined our call to work with you to say, USTR and the Hill needs to come up with some kind of solution because the status quo is just, it's just not working. Yeah, and hopefully we'll get there soon. Hopefully we will get back to zero duties, which is something our industry has uh, benefited from and all of our producers along the supply chain have benefited for the past two decades. So I'm optimistic, but we still have more work to do. And so thank you for your help on that. The Spirited Advocate podcast is sponsored by Sovo Ship Compliant. Sovo Ship Compliant has been the leader in automated alcohol beverage compliance tools for more than 15 years. Our direct-to-consumer compliance solutions offer real-time compliance checks and tax determination to mitigate against the risks of falling out of compliance and the fines and other penalties that can result. Our wholesale compliance solutions enable distillers to ensure they meet federal and state regulations for three-tier distribution and can efficiently bring new products to market. For more information, visit www.sovos.com slash ship compliant. Um, I want to switch gears and uh, talk a little bit about your Restaurant Employee Relief Fund. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what it is and how it works? So the Restaurant Employee Relief Fund was, was something we really did just spur of the moment. And it was just a, what can we do not only for our restaurant owners, but just our, the restaurant community? You know, 2.5 million people were out of a job at a period where 
usually the restaurant industry is an incredibly um, portable job. If you're a sous chef in Detroit and you want to relocate to Miami, you're probably going to be able to get a job in Miami. If you want to move to Philadelphia, if you want to move to a small town in Mississippi, they, we, we needed those folks. But in an era where everybody was shut down, it didn't matter if you're in Miami or Philadelphia or Detroit or that small restaurant in Mississippi, uh, our dining rooms were closed. We couldn't do much with a sous chef. And so we immediately just had this wave of incredibly qualified men and women who had no way of, 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 of taking care of their, of their livelihood. Uh, what we did is through the National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation, we partnered up with Guy Fieri, uh, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, and created the Restaurant Employee Relief Fund. And we worked with some of your suppliers just to get contributions in. 100% of the contributions went straight into the fund. There was no overhead. There was nothing that we took out of it. We raised over $25 million of uh, funds in a pretty short period of time. So again, thank you to the Discus membership and those that stepped in. It was just a lot of good corporate suppliers that said, we get it and we wanna be a part of this. And so we raised the funds immediately, again, turned 100% of them around into grants to uh, our workforce. The, the fund was tapped, you know, it was eliminated pretty quickly, unfortunately, but we were happy just to give, do what we could just to allocate some of our dollars, some of our partners' dollars in when our workforce needed it the most. So it was a great exercise. It's one that we are, you know, we learned a lot, God forbid, if something like this comes up, I'm sure we'll be working with, with, with folks like your, your membership on what can we do to keep this industry afloat. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, so obviously things are looking better, uh, but we know that we're not just going to flip a light switch and go back to the way things were prior to the pandemic. And, um, you know, things, people are getting vaccinated, restaurants are opening again. I think most, I'm not sure if any states are open at 100% yet or not, uh, probably a few out there, but um, right. What, what advice would you give to people that are looking to go back out to restaurants for the first time in more than a year? Well, it's amazing if you think about that. Uh, when in, in all the polls that we've seen, when you ask, what do you miss most uh, because of the pandemic restrictions? Obviously, seeing your family and loved ones is always at the top of the list. And uh, I know that's the same probably for, for, for you, Christine, and certainly for me. But having uh, going to a restaurant or a bar or an outing with friends, with a, with a significant other, with a spouse is always in the top three. Uh, and people are really tired of cooking for themselves. I, I've gotten decent at it by virtue of necessity. But for as folks begin to come out, I think it's that they will be shocked at how much more restaurants have stepped up their game on this. We are, as I said, we're always such a really highly regulated issue uh, re industry at the federal, state, and local level. But what we're doing on social distancing, what we're doing on hygiene, what we're doing to, to really mitigate and minimize the risk for our customers, for our employees, has just been remarkable. What, something we put out really early was just reopening guidance, best practices through our, our ServeSafe uh, partners on just what are the basic steps that you need to do to comply with everything to, at the state level, and then what can you do to go even farther than that? Uh, because we can only get by, our industry can only get by on gift certificates and takeout. 
for so long. Uh, you and I are here in Washington, D.C. If you, you know what the rent is like, if you've got 60 tables in a beautiful brass fittings and, and, and mahogany wood, that's not a good environment to operate a ghost kitchen. That's not a good uh, to have just DoorDash coming in. We need those customers coming in. Um, as you noted, it's getting a little warmer outside. So if folks feel more comfortable with outdoor dining, that's going to be more of an option. Vaccination rates uh, continue to rise. We've really been pressing to ensure that restaurant workers are considered essential so that they, uh, they get an appropriate place, not ahead of first responders, but right behind that, just because we're such an integral part of the food supply chain. Uh, but we're at the point where pretty much in every community, if you want a vaccine, you should have access to one at this point. So really seeing just to get that, just to get communities vaccinated. Then it's how do we pick to work with the CDC? Um, what CDC requirements still make sense uh, during this pandemic? We're not out of the woods yet, but we're not where we were in June of 2020. And, and what ways can we, can, can we, can the employee experience, can the guest experience be enhanced, but still uh, have just the safest, safest baseline experience that people should expect. Uh, but last is chefs and, and service, they're just dying to start serving the community again. They're just, they really want to delight people. They want to work on dishes where they want to, they, they want the hustle and bustle. It's sort of boring doing it, being a ghost kitchen. So uh, if someone hasn't come back, uh, learn what a QR, QR code is, because that's certainly become the new, uh, the new normal. Uh, but we can't wait to start having people back in and just get that rush. Absolutely. And as um, you know, I'm, I'm Italian and we love to cook. One of the things you do is you love to cook for other people and you love to hear the feedback on, on your, on your cooking and, you know, did it make people happy? Did they like it? And so I could see that from a restaurant perspective, you want to have that interaction with your customer and, and, and here, you know, did they enjoy the meal and would, will they be coming back and what will they be trying the next time they come? And I know, you know, as a mother of three kids too, some of, some of the interesting things that my neighborhood restaurants did that were a big treat for us is, you know, we had delivery from our local Italian restaurant and with a little mobile robot. So that was a big treat. The robot's gone now. So my kids are a little bit upset by that, but, uh, but we're happy to be going to the restaurant and at least sitting outside now. So that, that's been fun. We're ready. My, my, my cook, as I said, my cooking skills are only, are only so good, but it's also more that, you know, it's, it's these zoom interactions only get you so far, you know, you and I, we talked about, you and I still have yet to get a meal together and, and enjoy a cocktail ourselves. And we, we sure as hell deserve one. So I'm ready to get this over just so you and I can finally sit down. I look forward to it. So when we do, what cocktail will you be having? <laughs> I am probably boring by by your standards. Uh, it's it's I love I really love just the basics. Uh, I, 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 it's, I'm a very much just a gin and tonic kind of guy. I've started on uh, during the pandemic. I've, I don't have quite the retinue of bottles that you have behind you, but I've started the whiskeys and, and bourbons. And I'm developing a, a, a great appreciation for that. And how do you change it with bitters and things like that? We've all become, we've all done so many Zoom virtual taste events and, and we've partnered with you on some of those as well, by the way. So thank you for your help in making our events more fun by ending it with a virtual cocktail demonstration. I've done enough virtual cocktail demonstrations where it's forced me out of my shell. So I'm no longer doing just the gin and tonic. I'm adding a lot more things. I'll probably start with that and then we'll, we'll just see where the afternoon or where the evening goes. Uh, but we, it'll definitely be more than one. <laughs> 
Sounds good. And I think a, a classic gin and tonic is one of my favorite cocktails too. Perfect. I, to, Perfect. I also have a mojito. Those are some <laughs> of the that I like in the summer. So anyway, well, thank you so much, Sean, for joining us for uh, the Spirited Advocate podcast this week. It's been real fun talking to you and um, just talking about how we've been working together and uh, look forward to seeing you in person to share a cocktail at a local restaurant together. You've been fantastic, Christine. Thank you to you and to Chris Swanger and the entire Discus, not only the government affairs, oh, you have a drink there, not only the government affairs team, but just your membership again. It's such a close relationship. We rely on you. We know that you all rely on us as well. And the customers are so better off uh, as a result of the advocacy work that Discus has been doing. So thank you. I really, we really appreciate it. So in the interim, cheers to you, Sean, and to to all of, to the National Restaurant Association, and uh, look forward to seeing you in person. Thanks, Christine. Talk soon. Bye bye. Cheers. The Spirited Advocate Podcast was brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. If you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show, or send us topic suggestions to cover, please contact us at podcast at distilledspirits.org. and please like and share these episodes. Your support is very appreciated.